0: Today, September 7th, Wednesday, 2022, of the People's Townhomes fighting. (laughs) They are disrupting the Business Industry Association PAC fundraiser meeting, which Altman, owner of UC Townhomes, sits on. And the next clip is from a rally after this disruption.
1: for low-income housing yeah. from developers and yeah. 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 okay. Anytime, anywhere, we're shutting it down. You're not going to have dinner in peace. Exactly. You're not going to go to church in peace. Exactly. You're not going to go to work in peace. Exactly. You're not going to go to a funeral in peace. all right. A whole I, year to
2: I, talk. I think that if you look in the revolutionary's dictionary Otosaurus, <laughs> beside dialogue, you'll find pacify. We're
1: past that. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: If there's a fire going on where well, that sign is being held. Don't throw water. where that not You're telling us that you want to have a dialogue, but you can't speak to the universe, this is talk. You can't speak to the people, Stouffo. You can't speak for Brett Maldon. We have been trying to convey this message, to have this dialogue, to the people who are actually in a position to do something to preserve the people's stone homes for more than nine months. Right. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yep. The only reason the only reason why they even dare to speak with us is cause they saw uh, six people. And they saw twelve, then they saw eighteen, then they heard twenty, and then about two-hundred voices. <laughs> <Glory-doe>! <laughs> and rather than the elevator music that serves as a score for their little conversations around their little tables with their little it, they heard the roar of the people yes. Yes. and they couldn't ignore it because even if they tried enough persons were shooting and posting so they would look ridiculously insensitive if they didn't try to speak with us. Yeah. So whether he was dispatched or he was stepping into his role as president, he came to talk and said we can talk some more. But he began with the premise that we can't do anything about the town hall. Premise that we're going to turn our who's there when the fire is there. We ain't trying to water our garden. We're trying to put out the fire. We're trying to keep what's left of those 70 families in their 70 homes. Yeah. Yeah. There is No, conversation. no that is going right to be heart. among. The movement called Save the People's Stone Homes has to begin with the People's yes! Stone Homes. Yes! Back there. Crystal Strong
1: comes to the same thing. Today is a victory. Yes!
2: that we can have, but the people left standing. And anybody in our way gets knocked down, ran over, a step stepped apart. Because this is our fight, and this is our fight to win, and nothing else is acceptable. Nothing else! Yes. We live in a time where voices for liberty, and voices for other ideas face a world of indifference, where the powers that be try to contain them within the boundaries of an echo chamber. Inside of those rooms,
1: the rooms
2: where it happens, Decisions are made about all kinds of things, about all kinds of people's lives. And I believe that that kind of encroachment on our freedoms and our liberty and our ways that we express ourselves, and the way that we love, the way that we present ourselves, the way that we study, the way that we eat, the way that we relate to each other, those who we to relate to, we have become far enlightened people is by those boundaries that people who want to hold on to power seek to put around us. And that is why I believe you're here with us today. That's right. Because the displacement might not affect you immediately, right. but the sense of powerlessness that gives it its momentum. does. You feel that there are forces out there who wish to divide us from each other. That there are elements out there that want to keep us with blinkers on. So that the only persons that we see are persons who think like us. That speak like us. That believe what we believe. But you've decided to stand in solidarity with this. Thank you for that. We ask that you keep fighting. Because we know that in many ways this fight is your fight. Thank you. Real quick,
1: y'all, real quick. We have a quick now. Someone left a bag upstairs. Is this your bag? Take a look, y'all. If you are missing a bag, it's right here in the front. It's a North Face Okay. I just want to thank everybody for coming out and supporting us today. This fight is not over,
2: it's far from over. We got more work to do. So please join us in our next fight. We'll let y'all know what's what.
0: sure has been a while now hasn't it it's me magus monk aka mtayas fka number 18 you know me nice to see you nice to hear from you nice to talk to you i finally got over myself on this wednesday mercury's day as mercury's child to get my recording set up just tentatively back in order so i could send one of these out Mm. There's just so much to say about everything going on in the world, but I'm gonna just read the draft that I have going to share it, because I'm really feeling it this time. I'm getting over a bunch of shit that's been held up in my writing, I think, and it's certainly not been something that I've done alone, thanks to all of my friends and like fans and people who are generally supportive of me being a creative and artistic person in this world and expressing myself everybody who hopes to do that or get something out of that from watching me do my thing is very appreciative so what I'm about to read is the piece the draft that I actually sent in my last newsletter communication that was like story stuff and not news Plus, everything I've written since then, little treat, long listen. And I forget if I had said anywhere that this new stuff is a rewrite, again, of kind of all the work that I've been doing thus far. To speak briefly on it, I released that story, Real Work You Deserve, Um, It's on my website right now, and it's in my Transitional Times, Transitional Body short story collection. And in that collection, in the printed book, it's like the majority of the book, it's 14,000 words. And I wrote this whole thing after, like, reading Samuel Delaney's book about writing. It's called About Writing. And he's like, you know, people all the time start in different places and then they start using flashbacks and all this and all that well start your story where it actually starts and i was thinking about that at the time was like oh i guess i'll start my story from when k becomes cyberized and the whole thing starts off but what i and i wrote this whole thing if you read that story if you've heard me read the like other scant parts of it in the very few recordings i've put out of it, And, you know, it's kind of like a harsh ass thing. It's like a depressing ass story or something. I, when I wrote it, and, you know, as I had it, I was like, yeah, it's really realistic. It's what she's going through. It's where she's at. Like, it's what happens to her and all this stuff. And anyway, I had, I you know, people had read it around me and everybody was like, wow, awesome. Can't wait for more. And That was kind of it, and I showed it to. I brought it to the Cascade Workshop, which is this three day weekend, sort of run like a a nerd convention style, where there's like a jam packed schedule on Friday and Saturday with like industry people who are going to teach you, and you're in small groups. You critique the first four thousand words. You critique a four thousand word piece that you submit ahead of time. And you read the other pieces that the other people in your group have submitted. So you get about six or seven or eight people, I think, who dedicatedly read your 4,000 words and tell you what they think about it in a detailed critique session that follows. And you get to like hang out and learn shit like um, how to pitch for the industry. And it's sort of very very industry-focused, which is useful in... myriad of ways I'm at the crisis of wondering how I want to participate in the industry and so on and so forth and I think that that also has been a factor as to why I have been unable to finish this story because I have this suspended belief of like its utility under the given like distribution channels and all this shit it's like it's a lot of stuff I have to still think about and rectify and oh uh, and for my astrology people I have a 10th house sun with a conjunct Mars combust under that sun and I'm a Virgo rising so Mercury and my sun and my oh just like there's too much pressure so <laughs> so I had sent Yeah, everybody at the Cascade Workshop last year was like, it's so depressing. And they were sort of more focused on characters and aspects of that excerpt than I really wanted anybody to care about, period. And I was like, oh, true that people would think that these characters and things are going to be more important than they are at this juncture Because it's all that there is going on. All that's going on in that early, in that Real Work You Deserve story, which is, I forget if I ever said this, the like opening chapters of the All That's Left novel. Yeah, so there's that. So it's the opening of the novelized version of All That's Left. And everybody thinks that the story is going to be about Ellison and this doctor and Kay and... They think that because of these things, like, actually, I should be writing in the first person and all this stuff. And it just made me realize that there's way too much emphasis put on this corporation and these evil people. And where the beginning really starts is the fact that the world is a very specific type of world and that the corporation in this world isn't an evil capable one it's one that's falling apart and these evil wicked characters um aren't very important to follow and all these things so anyway it made me realize that I needed to shift around the perspective of what's of what's in focus at the beginning and so I began to write this new draft that would recycle stuff or whatever I don't know People who have written novels, people who have written long works that take many iterations to finally get to what the fuck you're trying to say, shout out to you, shout out to us. It's been taking me a while. That all said, I very much like where this is going as I've been seeking both like industry adjacent or industry involved writing environments, I guess, because you pay to attend them unlike these academic writing environments where you need to have prestige and merit and all this shit. So I've been paying to go to these, this workshop and being involved in stuff. All that said and done, I've been like, right, right, right. Right. Like I need to write a strong, I need to write strongly. I don't need to write in all these ways that are still tied to the academy, concerned with making sense in these certain ways. like, Me, who I never talk about this stuff, me who grew up writing poetry, who my high school after school club was like the hip hop arts um, and culture club where people were like, you know, the five elements of hip hop, like ciphering and b-boying and graph writing and um, dropping out like shit like that. So it was a very live ass club. I read a lot of poetry. I was around a lot of very talented, creative people who were wordsmiths we liked playing with cadence and rhyming and like the meanings of words and flexing words to their different capabilities and all this shit and that's where I started writing from strongly I I don't know if you could tell but I love the spoken aspect of storytelling and spoken cadences in written storytelling so I've been coming back to myself in that way somehow some way you know in the 2022 so but all that said i wrote that first real work you deserve story and then i wrote like uh 20,000 more words or something i forget i forget i wrote about half the book before i was like this is not quite right and i have set up certain information to be revealed at a very late point And I need that information to come at the beginning. So I'm writing this new draft, I guess. But I feel really good about it because I have so much material now. I don't think it'll be really that much more difficult to write the stuff. And the very difficult things are actually like putting myself as like a magical being through the act of imagining what's going on that I then transcribe in the written word. You know, it's some sort of pulling down from somewhere or pulling out from inside in the deep underworld or some shit like that. So the shit is exhausting. I feel like I've gained some skills about how to manage that exhaustion. Octavia Butler, you know, she said, you don't need to be a fucking talented writer. You just need to be a habitual one or whatever her, whatever, that's a, you know, a paraphrase, but you know, you just got to do it every day. Everything that is good, in the, everything that you want to be good at, from my experience thus far, you just have to do it routinely and you got to make it something that you, I don't know if you like doing, but that you like get good at doing and get skillful at doing and can do quickly or easily. There's a lot of labor before that point and something else about learning really, really fucking hard shit and and studying it and just doing it all the time and it's it's exhausting you just don't seem to be able to get through and all that stuff you have to take a break so your brain can fucking gel and then you put the shit down you come back to it you pick it back up and you're like oh shit like look at what's happened I like uh on some super saiyan shit you like reach the next level (laughs) so I'm feeling good about myself I wish and I, you know, I like where this is going. I'm getting my getting my practice strong. I'm setting my priorities and all this stuff. But what's also happened is I realized just how much other shit I've been always doing on the side of trying to write this novel version, this task I've taken up for some reason. And I've just cut it all away and I feel some sort of remorse or desire or trepidation of some sort to, to for a reality where i'm routinely making contact with you and delivering things like in a timely fashion which is less to say like performance anxiety or or capitalist delivery pressures and shit like that which of course that's what's going on but what's also going on is the fact that I wish I was just in a more regular way able to express myself and output this shit with the people who want to hear it from me so that's what I've been struggling with I'm getting there uh (laughs) but damn well I've said enough so here we go Dear Braga, every day I think of leaving, packing my shit and leaving to come find you and be running out with you, but I am unable to move myself more and more for longer periods of day and night. This dread has been welling up that I should stay, that there's nowhere better to go that I have been designated witness to this land those are the thoughts that pop up in my head what if I left I suppose I'd finally become among all of you seekers or whatever the people who gotta run around and experience the world I don't know I just haven't been able to picture myself in a wild, drifting life. I'd be a different person. That's part of it. I've always been envious of how you move. Trying to channel the feeling into admiration. Trying to take lessons of what's possible. I don't have to stay in Ching Sessing. I don't have to. I can leave. But... I don't. There is a huge, wide blank on the surface of my mind, and I can't seem to do anything about it. I wish someone would come get me, but everything seems like a joke or a scam anymore. How did I get this way, and why didn't anybody come get me? I guess... Well, this that shit you're not supposed to take personal. I hope I don't get got from some told-you-so type bullshit. I know I'm sounding bleak, but I am gonna come find you round your way the first chance I get. Maybe you think I'm a punk, but I just move slow. I know you're not trying to hear about Elson anymore, but I don't think they can last. The way they left my block, you know they did that shit and then walked away? Another one-and-done experiment. They don't know what they're doing. Just pissing resources away. I've been watching how they operate. Matter of fact, I've been taking sensory gigs, like you used to be doing. Just got myself one of their little quality of life charity surgeries and signed up for their housing intake, whatever that really means. And I'll sit right in the cut, waiting for shit to bail. They always bail. Everyone leaves but me. Kay sat up from her hunched perch over the paper in her lap. This was all wrong, but she could probably finish things here, then leave it super emo like that. The message man was due at the old park by the rail station, and she wanted to get this out already. This was a shitty letter. She'd been only writing shitty letters she couldn't send lately, and what was up with that? Getting there, love... Small hand, Kay. She quickly signed at the bottom. Kay turned to the plastic tray full of pens and markers and little erasers and scissors. Where was the glue stick? Pop. A stroke. Fold the brown paper bag loose leaf onto itself and glue it shut in the common easy open way. Then she looked outside and huffed. Weather actually looked pleasant out thank the saints she had the energy to pop herself out of bed today. Well, maybe thank the little endocrine support surgery for that. And obviously, we still give thanks to the paths laid by the saints, she muttered aloud, and sprang her weary ass up and started getting dressed to go outside. Picture this. You're a dehydrated delinquent squatting from one disaster-abandoned property to the next. You look like a grimy teenager with a dirt stash, But you've managed to survive into your 20s. And at this point, your light-colored skin is marked by tattoos and scars and blemishes that make most people leave you be. It gives mixed in a time when white means unrepentant about the errors of my ancestors. And some darker-skinned people never speak to you, let alone acknowledge you exist. And some do. And you're very used to the range of possibilities. You pull on a pair of tattered, two big sweatpants with your bit-down fingernails and calloused hands, and next thing, you're buckling on the wide leather belt that your machete and its thigh harness is also strapped to. You pull a youth large polycotton tee down over your ribcage and pull your necklace out from under a braided cord made from scraps of some color bandana that was once your aunties. Your hair is dark, thick, and braided down on either side of your head. You quickly redo the unraveling left braid, grab your rucksack and sun hat off the doorknob and make it outside with your hair safely tucked under the hat and your bag on shoulders, full of essentials for the errand at hand. Outside, you say hi to some of the people you've spent the winter here with, now making the most of a warm and sunny early spring day. No one has anything for the messenger man, so you go handle your business. And when you come lurching back, You remember how you ran out of here without eating or drinking anything. Back inside, you eat chips dusted with nutrient powder that you got from a kill's water source all the way over on 45th. But right now, you're drinking on spring water from two seven gallons your homie blessed you with the last time you went out to Big Los. So why are you dehydrated? It's the remediation meds you're on. They require an optimal level of hydration, But that's assuming you're out of the site of exposure. You live in Philadelphia, an old British colony turned post-industrial American city turned catastrophic natural disaster FEMA region turning new growth forest ghost town. People don't even talk about shit like FEMA no more. It don't even matter in the day to day. Yeah, you live in a disaster zone the city where you were born and raised, now a conglomeration of just a few different neighborhoods in the parts that the rivers and the creeks didn't eat, that never got cleaned up with the disaster relief, that didn't catch fire, not too bad anyway, the whole metropolitan region been slipping away from all former semblances of quote-unquote civilization the entire time you've been alive. So you've got problems, you keep sticking around, unaware how ready you are to become a part of this decomposing city. This night so much rain fell that Kay's makeshift squat lodgings, along with the rest of the band, was inundated and the whole constellation of squatters up and left on a minor flotilla of waterproofed inflatables and patchwork flood water vessels, geared up with all of one's earthly possessions and paddling in search of higher ground, an increasingly scarcer sight in this lower part of koak lately. Now, Kay was jammed inside an at capacity pontoon airboat, trying to roll with the waves of nausea and the nostril searing stench that clung to everyone's bags and folded down paddle boards. She gulped down a parched throat, trying to pass the hard mucus feeling pressing against clogged, swollen lymph nodes. The boat rocked. She pressed her eyes shut. At least it was a cool breeze. At least the rain was tapering off. The boat operator was decked out. High-vis rubber coveralls with a full-face respirator and wide-brim rain cap covering their hair and head. And anything the coveralls didn't reach was wrapped up like a fighter in cloth, likely treated with broadleaf resin that worked like a sealant protecting bare skin underneath. Hmm. So yeah, it was bad out. Kay held a bare hand over her mouth and nose's labored breathing and tried to keep a hold over the tight stomach feeling making her mouth water. Don't throw up. Hoping to hell she wouldn't have to wait super long to get washed off once they got to the spot, as everyone was saying. A quick look around at everyone else on the pontoon told her she wasn't the only one with the thought. It was the silent exhaustion in everyone's faces. Mute and downturned mouths, eyes half-lidded and blankly staring out, some fussing to make their own hall of belongings more compact, tarp-covered, and in, out of exposure to whatever was in the floodwaters, wet and bedraggled regardless. Someone heaved a sigh and started singing, How did you get here? Be. the tired city drifted by in the glowing brown green slick gray waters the usual sights churning whirlpool vortexes at the bottoms of hills once asphalt roadways struggling trees toppled And forced to bear the brunt of becoming dams, gathering all manner of refuse, plastic, broken, splintered construction materials, outright sludge, slicks caught fire, crippled matchstick buildings lurching out their inundated contents, some obvious hazards, and some places just entirely underwater like, no telling what's happening under there now. The singing was starting to hit on her heart. Other people had been joining in and ad living and the whole crescendo weight of the layers was, it was what they did now, she guessed. Did this so many times already, couldn't even think about it. So many times now she had been staying in a nice setup with no issues. Everybody's cool, resources are respected, only for a storm to come and flood everything away. How did the city manage? Like, like why was it flooding so bad recently? It did not bode well, her mind raced. She was running out of places to dry out. Just one transfer to a land wagon, and it was clearing up by the time they got to the spot. A warm, busy wind worked along trees, just forming buds. Overhead, murky wisps of strung-out rain clouds zipped by, below the higher, white overcast. It wasn't done storming. Everyone's expressions agreed as much. Wry appraisals of the soundness of their surroundings— Exhausted exhales while finally having space to find a head cover and tie down and protect their hair. The tired familiarity of balded plastic wheels slip sliding over unsuitable terrain. But none of that sentiment lasted long, because the ground here was dry. The shower line was to be determined, though, and a lot of regulars passing through looked positively nonplussed, dismayed and old granny-style concerned. The spot, after all, was apparently what the people in the area called the rec center, made sense. It was where the surrounding blocks retrofitted an old school building, one of those big four-story E-shaped kinds, and its neighboring recreation center across the street. They made it into a community wash house and water treatment outlet, a totally makeshift and homegrown endeavor reliant on what the blocks could bring together. With the major factor being that it was situated on a northwestern hilltop, which allowed them to have much better control over how much water ever made it through their facilities. And for that matter, you know they defended that, John. Just waiting in the shower line, they had the old hard women who liked to sit out with their rifles, chilling around a mobile kiosk on wheels, unlocked and set up like a candy stall, except it had a painted sign with two pistols on one side and a rifle and an AK on the other, and in the middle it said, No firearms, no blades, no bows. Leave your weapons here. Nothing out of the ordinary around here. Kay made her eye contact nods from the line, acknowledging the old lady gunslingers, With knobby digits, long fingers, tattooed hands, lacquered nails, and ammo belts slung like purses, the one in the booth taking everyone's weapons, Kay could just see now more than the hands, short nails, broad palms, and fingers that looked each one capable of sealing your fate. Dressed in a clear skin wrap and deftly accepting and handling each relinquished piece, As Kay neared the booth, she saw an assistant who received everything into plastic bins and another who was formally accounting for the interactions in a paper ledger. Organized over here, Kay thought. Then she was stepping up herself, hefting her pack down on the broad exchange counter with an agonized expression. In the space of a breath, no one said a word. Then Kay unclipped her machete and its thigh sheath from her body and began pulling out and lining up a number of smaller utility knives and blades from around her person and baggage. No firearms? Nah. What kind of tools you carry? Kay's pack sat before the matron, whose protected hands rested on either side of it in appraisal. Kay gestured for permission to reach, and the matron beckoned forth. Kay zipped and pulled out a watertight nylon dop kit and unzipped it to reveal all kinds of bit heads and handles, files, and lock picking, flat hooks, and such, a whole outfit. May I? The matron asked, and with approval began rummaging through them. Okay, you can hold on to those, baby. The matron glanced at her accounting scribe as she spoke, like, you made sure you got all that right. We're going to hold on to your sharps until it's time to leave. You got that? And Kay darted her eyes around the situation for a minute like, yeah, the wreck is a no funny business place. (laughs) I should be good. Yeah, I got it. Thank you. All right, then go ahead and get washed up. Kay was chest-weary exhausted in here. The weight of relief upon her fleshy body, just moments earlier, covered in grime, sludge, stuck with fine, sharp, irritating particles, eyes watering, vision fuzzy, nostrils zapped to hell, your sense of smell is a headache, was... Seven minutes through the showers and you feel like you just got taken in out of the wild from the most benevolent people alive. Now you are finally feeling the exhaustion, body regulating, your temperature. You are no longer profusely sweating. You are in clean clothes. Your hair is clean and damp with moisturizer. The headache is calming down and your vision is keeping still. Now you feel the tongue nausea pang of an empty stomach. A reminder of what kind of a state you had been in, and what sorry-looking, still-standing shape you're in now. Kay was in her head, thanking the spirits once again. After showers, it was a hot meal. Kay was trying to accept the blessings of good, kind, resourced neighbors, while weighing out the signs that they weren't maybe a cult or a church or an order, like the fact that she had the space-time to think about this in their facilities in the middle of a storm, it amounted to something. When everyone had been going through the line, getting their shit combed for weapons, the wreck people were leading off small groups of them as they collected. And when Kay and her little bundle of dirty and defenseless wanderers had amassed three people to their seven, walked them over to their wash house. It was gorgeous, fully intact, maintained infrastructure. Nothing was falling down. Their waterworks must be legit. Kay thought. They were led past the communal laundry facility on the way, where regulars with strong, heavy forearms watched them pass as they worked their sudsing laundry against poured concrete washboard troughs and a slow, steady trickle of running water. The drain lines emptied all the way over to a far array of enormously deep, stepped-down garden boxes just brimming with wetland plants dense, lush, enjoying the sunlight. Yeah, Kay told herself as they approached the wash house. They're making good use of their water. (sighs) The group of them stood a distance away still preparing to explain. Kay watched as someone she'd seen at the beginning of the line was now a whole shade lighter than before, dressed in a matching baby pink short and top set and headed for what, if she could smell, looked like the mess hall tent. A classic white-top canopy. Yeah, this hospitality. It was keeping her guessing. Hello, neighbors, one of the trio finally began. Several people greeted back, maybe everybody, while Kay's voice caught on phlegm in her throat and nothing came out. She wound up gesturing instead, and the speaker had indeed waited for every response. You can call me Bernice. We're here to let you know the rules around here, how things are going to go well. And Bernice paused to survey the faces in the group. What we'll throw you out for. Kay wished she had a cigarette to smoke while she watched and listened to Bernice talk. A person with a dropped husky voice, tall and meaty with rich brown red skin, wearing a rat tan or is that plastic poncho? Over a skin tight tank top short set, beaded pendant earrings that jangled emphatically alongside twin pigtail braids snaking luxuriously out from under a cute bell shaped bucket hat. Kay decided she could really get behind somebody with a sense of style like this and listened good. Right, so thank you for your attention now. We at the Rec Center will be hosting you through the storm. We consider you our neighbors on this land. It was then Kay realized that Bernice was not much older than her, like probably just made it into her solid 20s. So as you know, you're contaminated. That's why we're wearing coverings and you're walking on the thatch leaf walkways. She had the tone of someone not unlike a coach. You're going to take yourself and your things and head around to the far side of the building here. Sanitize yourself give yourself a good rinse off over your clothes, your things, whatever you're carrying that needs attention. There's going to be red baskets, red baskets for your things, and you'll go and put them in the locker around side the building. You'll have the key. Yes, that's right. You will have your own key to the locker. Bernice let that sink in with patient, clasped hands before asking if there were any questions. Kay glanced around. Everybody was smart and let her get on with it. Great, they perked up. At the lockers, you'll see the washhouse entrance. The washhouse is rows of private stalls, okay? Private stalls. You will not have to wait long. You will have your own private time with three gallons. Please use it to wash yourself. With the soap we provide. So we should keep and sanitize our toiletries if we want to bring them along to wash with. K clarified. Yes, that's right. Thanks. I forgot to point that out. Yes, please fully wash yourself. Use our soap if you have none. We make it. We use it. After your shower, after you shower, please use our moisturizer if you have none. We make it. We use it. Um, after your shower, you'll have a chance to recuperate, eat, gather your things, make plans and sleep. Anyone plying a trade is welcome to propose. You can stay with us for two days, max two days, and we'll help you on to your next destination. And in exchange, you won't be doing anything violent or messy up in here, or we'll kick you out, swiftly. (laughs) I forgot to say, the wreck runs on the UG highway, we will guide those seeking to travel it, we also have ways to big lows. And there came a chorus of ohs and okays and placated thinking nods, and they were entreated to at last approach the wash house as instructed. Now Kay was replaying the last 20 minutes in her head of going from covered in toxic flammable grime to clean and about to eat, sitting there in the house t-shirt and elastic short set, this one sherbert orange, with Dam spa embroidered on the short's leg. And it was only now, as she sat there in a tranquil daze, such as clean water's power, that she began to once again see the faces and expressions of those the storm had brought her with. Is that smoke? Kay croaked out. Damn, was their whole voice fried? Maybe. And up behind her came a short and plump fat woman with pinky brown skin, whose spa set comfortably accommodated her usually stuffed-in round stomach. Kay locked eyes with Smoke after checking out the construction details on the set, who practically shouted to the whole room, You don't have to tell me, they got it going on here. Then Smoke gasped and hushed down, Oh my god, Kay baby, she whispered, hands clasping Kay's shoulders and leaned in close. We smell, we are clean, my friend. This is crazy, Kay whispered back. And Smoke sighed across her earlobe. Gangly ass shit's been crazy. That's what I'm saying, Kay stressed, glancing back urgently for Smoke's eye contact, her own wide as shit, holding an I guess anything's possible look ready for commiseration. And they're gonna feed and shelter us with travel guidance for two days in a storm? You heard that too? I sure did, the posters all said the same thing. Posters Yeah all the posters. You didn't see them on the way into the wash house? What? Smoke and disbelief. They were like PSAs all made by different committee groups like Miss Stephanie's block and Dona Loyola's darning circle. You really didn't see them? They were all tacked up in the hallways on the cork boards. Kay baby, you know I can't see shit sometimes. Well, this place feels like a powerhouse is all. Now Kay in disbelief. You never heard of the wreck before? Not of my old way. I I only came over this side of the river last year. And Smoke's glistening bark brown eyes glazed over. Now how long were we just at U-Town Court? (sighs) Like it was about to be three whole months. Today would have been the fourth I think. Kay moped about it. Yeah what the fuck happened? and suddenly a new gaggle of freshly washed people filtered into the blessed dressing area. Kay picked herself up fast and joined arms with smoke, and the two locker keychains around wrists scuttled off to the dining tent. The dining tent is a heavy-duty, synthetic, white banquet hall canopy, with all its flaps staked just enough apart for airflow, but tight enough that bluffs of rain don't come inside. It's only pattering straight down outside feeling like the end of a thunderstorm and where's the rainbow in the changing light to tell you it's all over. In the tent you wind up in the line to get a plate and see the 60 or so other people in various pastel hues of of Chung Dam Recware sitting at long fold-out cafeteria style tables, eating and talking but mostly eating. Regulars dot the tables further from the line quietly eating and conspiring and people-watching. On the menu, a buffet of scrambled eggs and greens and griddle cakes cooked in peanut oil with a fat dollop of savory grits, a 20-ounce glass of drinking water and an herbal tea so rich and earthy it was emerald green, supposedly to assist their liver and lymph move out the exposures ingested. Kay and Smoke sat next to each other, facing the regulars yonder and ate their food with relish. Kay gave Smoke a look of faux panic, about to shove in a blessed mouthful of the fluffy egg and grain cake. Oh right, Smoke, taking Kay's look for impatience, picked up in hushed tones. So what the fuck happened? I thought Derry and Shamir and then all of us reviewed the survey work they did. Weren't we all in agreement that the area was very favorable against flood? I don't know. A fucking drain could have been gotten blocked. I don't know. Something might have broke. Anything could have happened. No. Why are you acting like it's a mystery? Something from what we knew was true about our surroundings changed, is what I think. We should be able to find out, is what I'm saying. Kay sat and savored back a spoonful of grits. It's not something to be mopey about, Smoke started to say. and Then she noticed people in earshot were openly listening for what else she was going to say, when in the pause, a youth sitting among them folded their arms in a huff. This is so sad. We're not organized. That's how I feel right now. Did no one, is no one else in this group from up the pike? The youth called out. Two hands Shut up. Didn't you see the signs for sensory jobs? Sensory jobs? Yes. And Kay's eyes widened to the youth the table over, who was standing up now that they had people's attention. Like, I don't mean no disrespect to anybody here. Like, thank you. And the youth, showing their exhaustion, grew teary-eyed. They visibly paused, then sucked themselves back up. But what is going on? How come, and closing their eyes, having realized they were shouting. How come we're letting this shit happen to us? What do you mean, though? K spoke up emphatic, quick to fill whatever shock silence had been coming. What's the shit? The baby doll fag of a youth looked utterly exhausted by this request for specifics, and so did Kay. After a beat, they both managed to adjust their attitudes, and the youth drew a phlegmy breath. Everywhere I've been lately, and everywhere I go, there's some Ellison bullshit. Some new scam, some new project on the edge of where I'm at, or where I go. The sensory jobs the kid punctuated by snapping their open hand into a pointed gesture, are all these opportunities for RPAP recipients, okay? That's what the signs and the bracelet ads say. And who are RPAP recipients? The whole last generation, that's who. The people who are making it into their teens and 20s, despite being left behind and abandoned by the city? And at this moment, Kay wanted to say, shut the fuck up already, please. The angst is too much today. Now what? But she knew better than to open her mouth. And she knew that those younger than her and the kid had to be like 14 or 15. The kids, the youth, they're worth listening to. So she only perked her brow as if to say, do go on. But the kid said nothing. So what do you think that they're coming for us? Yes. How? That's why I asked who was from up the pike. They've been damming the river up that way. Who? Uh, Kay said slowly. Ellison. Ugh. The youth's disgust for Kay's apparent not with the programness was palpable, but Kay didn't care. She sat there and just folded her arms. Eventually, one of the other two people who said they were from up the pike spoke up. Yeah, they're messing with the river up there, another young person, a chunky, soft-spoken, dark-skinned boy murmured, looking at no one in particular. Yeah, they're messing with the river up there. Their eyes darted straight into Kay's soul for a moment. It's fucked up. Their voice nearly heartbroken, Kay's stoic eyes began to glisten. Yeah, I bet it is. So why are we all sitting here doing not doing anything? The initial hot shot demanded of the room. Oh, honey! An old timer's voice further away gravelled. See, I don't get. Th- I-, I don't get this. And the youth flung themselves back into their seats, shaking their head in disgust. Kay barely stopped himself from a chortle. Then a snide guffaw came out from across the room, was cut short by a difficult, phlegmatic coughing fit, and then cleared itself up. Sweetie! The voice of the old timer wheezed for volume over the requieting din of eating. Sweetie! And the youth's seat neighbor nudged their elbow to notice. They looked up, saw a slump shouldered elder looking right at them, and sighed, ready for lecturing. Honey pie! Baby, this, this that we're doing right now, you and me and all of us being rescued by our neighbors from peril, being washed and fed and put up for the night for nothing, that is something. That's what we're doing. And the kids started shaking their head, ready to throw the towel in. It looked, I don't get it. I I don't get it. Well, what do... And the person's voice devolved or gurgled into wet coughing again. What do you get? I get that it takes great effort to maintain ties and community. I don't get why none of the people still living around here are organized in any way to sabotage or like fight back against what they're doing. What is Ellison doing? Kate interjected. "'Yes, honey, I think that they got you under their spell.'" "'Their spell?' The youth was appalled at the suggestion. "'It's their spell that the city handed them the reins. "'It's their spell that they cleared out "'and broke up all the deep autonomous blocks we had. "'It's their spell that they never even laid "'one pipe of updated sewers, "'even though their specialty is water and resources management.'" The youth looked around to everyone like, you can't be serious thinking, I'm the one that's crazy for this. And the whole room had yet to deliver a retort. And in fact, from the way people's faces were looking, it seemed like they agreed more than anything. And the upstart went on. Like, how am I under their spell for this? Like, how is the fact that they did experimental surgeries on half of us and now they're damming up the river a spell I'm under? Because all that shit is already done. Kay finally started. The damn no, you're right on that one. It'd be nice to go tear whatever shit they're building down like tonight. But we got our RPAPs. We got dispersed. The city I was born in doesn't exist anymore. The spell is that at least the way you're talking, you seem to think Ellison is to blame for everything bad that's ever happened to us. The last gen, whoever you want to include. The youth was incredulous. How could you tell me that it's not them who's to blame? At this point, those in the dining tent who cared to be involved in this exchange, and it was most everyone, silently waited to see who would get the last word, savoring everyone yet spoken. What do you think Ellison is, neighbor? And then... Kay's expression tweaked, and her eyes narrowed, curiously. Do you have an RPAP? No. The youth met eyes and looked away fast. Kay laughed. I don't, I don't mean to laugh. I have an RPAP. My block was dispersed. Ellison's fucked a lot of us up, but they're not all powerful. As you said yourself, they always got some scam going on. They're not legit. They don't know. What they're doing. How do you know that? Honey, the old timer picked up, clearing their throat. If they knew what would they if they, if they knew what they were doing, they would have done it. The old- timer spoke slowly, over paced breath. They would have made a name for themselves, revitalizing disaster zones by now. They would have killed us outright. But what are they doing struggling to cover their asses running small time scams because they need us just like they need those little fools on the inside of their gated hillside and we're the ones to decide if we'll take anything that they try to give us. Okay, because honey, they are not in control of our lives and they sure as hell aren't in control of the water that passes through here (sighs) the old timer caught her breath for a moment and no one said a thing the youth clearly still agitated was nearly mystified by the older woman's assertions until she gathered enough of a lungful to pipe up one more time And I'm willing to bet this damn y'all are talking about gets washed away in the next storm. If it didn't take a hit from this one that just washed us out. Y'all are wild for this, the youth picked up after a long pause. I just heard you and Smoke talking about how, oh, you and Shamir and Derry and them were saying U-Town was supposed to last. It was in a good spot and all this. Well, why are you so surprised that we got flooded out? I'll tell you why. Because y'all are not listening to us. It's probably because of the dam. Damn! And the youth threw themselves back into their seat for long enough to grab their cafeteria tray, wait for their friend to get up with them, and leave. And Kay looked at the old-timer and at Smoke and then looked inside themselves, and went, hmm...
2: Okay, folks, so
3: here we have the former largest oil refinery on the East Coast that has been a crippling entity for all of our communities that surround this area. So for all the surrounding areas, we have been given nothing but death from this place. So now, if you fast forward to where we are right now, we have Hill Co. Company redeveloping, the biggest redevelopment in the modern history of our city. And initially, we thought it would be a relief to us to have Hillco come and redevelop this area because we would be rid of all remnants of fossil fuel poisoning from this site but as the fact remains that's not the case Hillco is still doing dirty business over here that is sending all kind of toxins into our communities as we speak that's our problem and also as the redevelopment goes on. The community has had no input. They have thrown shade. They have dipped and dodged. They will not sit at the table. They don't want residents in the community that has been affected by the hundreds of years of pollution to have a say in a redevelopment. They want to cut us out of the economic development, of the environmental development that is in our community. And we're here to say you can't do that. We need support from everyone in the community who has been affected by this atrocity to come out and support the actions against Hillco. They have a public meeting scheduled for September the 20th where the community can have dialogue with this company. The first time in the two years or two and a half years since they've been here that they will meet with the community because up until now we have never had an opportunity to speak about anything or have any influence on what's being put over here. We have never been able to have any influence on how the development will take place. Who will will work over here? Who will get the jobs? What kind of investments will you make in our community? We have not, we have yet to be able to sit at a table with them and discuss any of the things that we are having a problem with right now. So that's the first step. And there also is direct action training going on at, um, what's that place again? 63rd, 63rd and Limberg Boulevard. Williams Temple. We will have direct action training there tomorrow. And... Sunday. Sunday? Stinger Square tomorrow. We'll We'll have training tomorrow at Stinger Square. We'll have training at Williams Temple on... Sunday. Sunday. Okay. So let me get the dates right. So tomorrow at Stinger Square Williams Temple on Sunday. So now... We need everyone who's affected, who's been fighting this fight, to support the training and come listen to the information so that you know what direct action training actually is. What is direct action? If I can't do direct action, how can I support direct action? What can what role can I play? Because everyone has a role to play. Just as everyone should benefit from Phil Kovich we all have a role. all have a responsibility and they also have a responsibility. And one of our responsibilities are to make certain that they uphold their responsibilities to our communities. So that's what I have for folks today and I appreciate you spending time listening. Thank you.
0: Kay didn't stop thinking about what the youngin had said in the mess tent. She was awake in the dark, dry, fed, clothed, and still holding on to her shit. To be honest, she had been lax since getting here, being on the wreck's little territory, and it was so much like her old block was making her feel like hyperventilated or something. Going off in the cafeteria on a kid was not shit she liked to do or act on but why does she feel so comfortable to do it anyway? I'm angry, she thought to herself, which means I'm fucking sad. I miss my old block so bad. She exhaled a tight, thrumming chest. We were organized like this. Smaller, I guess just our actual block and the one behind it not a whole school building and public center maybe that's why we scattered so fast is it really about territory and her mind went on racing and her heart beat fast even though she was here in this place she didn't belong to and when would she ever get that again things change she told herself aloud no one stirred People around her were the fuck asleep. No creepers had emerged. The nighttime itself was saturated with bug drone. The weed woods swathed through every untended, crumbled lot. They were hidden. They were protected. Things change. She slept. When she came to, it was late morning. Kay was one of a small remaining batch of late risers. Well, this rules, she muttered, seeing she still had her locker key. But the tight chest was back, so, yeah, this place was setting her off, too stimulating, activating. She still felt better than she had in a long time, bodily speaking. But didn't like what that said about how she'd been getting by. Would they let her stay another day? Could she get fed one more time? Kay wasn't sure she wanted to test it. The storm contributed to her nebulous agitation. Its approaching presence made the humid air different. People were up and about because the winds were picking up. That's crazy. She thought aloud and pushed herself up, waiting for the head rush. Most everyone she passed in the rec center was still in their spa fits. She had to pee real bad. RPAP had you nearly pissing yourself sometimes and not realizing it because of the bulge.
1: <sighs>
0: Last night's fog was this morning's light drizzle, and the skies were shifting layers of gray. Kay went straight on to the washroom bathrooms or it was going to be an accident. It was over there. She ran into people back in their freshly laundered clothes, getting all their gear packed. She could make out the others across the way, their familiar footwear showing below the flaps of the dining tent. In the mess tent, everybody would probably be talking about where they were all going to go. This was what Kay was dreading, the breakdown of the crew. Everyone goes to different places where they think they'll do better or be better off. But oh well, she had already told herself she'd be going straight to Big Lose the second that John Bernice said the word. Mir was at Big Lose, and God willing, so would Braga. Kay stepped into the tent and saw how smoke immediately swung around to check for her. Dread, pit of the bowels clenching the guts into the lungs. The cloudy sky boomed with thunder and Kay gasped. No fucking way. She dragged her suddenly dead weight body over to the closest cafeteria seat and gathered a few belabored breaths. Even though Kay was planning to be off for big lows, Smoke was gonna leave her. Now here came Smoke making strides. Kay, baby. Her voice strained for old affection. The effort was gone, Kay realized. She exhaled pointedly, winded with heart pounding. Why did you look at me like that? That's when Smoke's whole demeanor changed. Silence. Kay's breath quickened. It's goodbye, baby. Kay stopped looking at Smoke. Heard the far table quiet and shuffle. Didn't understand what came out of Smoke's mouth. Started feeling bad, crumpling. I didn't I didn't hear you, the older of the two went. Where are you going? Off on my own. What for? Kay lamented inside, wanted to cry out loud. Slow nodded their head instead, tried to keep the faltering, withering, hurt heart off her face. Not solo, she finally managed. No me and that youth by name and some young john and the youth's two friends (laughs) me and that person that person Mm. Kay couldn't help letting an emote slip wake up she told herself and managed to draw in another whole breath smooth that's that's a promising crew that's that's good to hear thanks yeah i think so too and smoke broke eye contact as soon as they said that well it sure hurts to hear i get it though Take care of yourself, listen to your gut. And it seemed as if Kay would say one more thing. Quiet instead. And then Smoke nodded as someone who suddenly realized what they thought of you. Yeah, I will. I think you should think about why you believe your experiences trump our experiences. Your. Our. Kay thought. What you said made sense, but why totally dismiss what that youth said? You're right, Kay admitted, smoothly turning stone. I didn't give any time for grace. I was I was doing that shit, staring down the long hollow road. What was she trying to say even? Yeah, not worth explaining. Look where it's already going, she told herself. Then she completely sobered up and looked at Smoke again. I'm sorry she offered instead. I have a problem and I know it. It's not fun to be around. Yeah, it's kind of not. And that's when Kay told herself she had gotten in with the wrong people again, raging young and brimming with untamed anger. And you're the closest target, she said to herself. Forget the fact that Smoke didn't have RPAP either, which Kay had never reflected on until this moment. She was starting to flashback to how they all first even met. And then nipped it in the bud and went, well, And the way Smoke hung around still waiting to hear her out. I guess I'll be seeing you. Smoke looked down and nodded. Take care of yourselves, all of you out there. You too, Smoke said, some kind of respecting my elder's flavor in the sentiment. She looked over, seated Kay uneasily, and finally broke off and floated back to the table with her new posse. Kay withered in the wake, her vision clouding with sense memories of the last time she saw her distant friend Mir, how they met when he was about to jump off a bridge. Jumping off a bridge, what would that be like? And then the elder from before was creaking into the seat across from her with a hot plate of breakfast, and Kay realized she had passed out. "'Your old neighbor said you were going to Big Lose.' Kay stared at the elder, addle brained and dazed still. "'That true?' the woman rasped. Kay sat thinking, "'When did anyone hear her express out loud about going there?' "'They said you had friends there, too.' Is that so? Kay found herself. Don't worry. The woman spoke at an ambling pace. They didn't have much else besides that to tell me. And Kay remembered that this old-timer felt the same way she did or something, and whoa. I am going to go to Big Lose. I don't know if I have friends there, though. This last part surprised Kay. I know the feeling... The woman coughed on phlegm. I think I gotta go back north. And it's a different type of hard up there. I'm not used to these floods. It's disgusting. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The woman lingered, shaking her head long and steady. Kay listened to the rhythm of her slow, damp breathing. But what about you? She leaned in and softened. Eat your breakfast, though, hun. I can leave you alone if you'd rather. Uh, but uh, so you got an RPAP, she sat back. What's that like? Kay looked at the food in front of her for the first time in earnest. Well? She nodded at each item on the tray. The tea, the broth, the corn cakes, the figs. What a beautiful meal. Her stubbed fingertips found the cup of broth, plastic against her lips, slurping hot and medicinal broth back till the filling hit like mmm. She smacked her lips. It's weird. She looked at the woman a long enough time to convey how much more she was going to give. But you know it's going to be weird. You see more purple. No kidding. Your old ailments. I don't get incapacitated anymore. But you get other shit. Oh, I bet. And, uh... Then she was mashing the mushroom slathered corn cakes up with the mushy jam consistency figs. Holy shit, this is good. This this is making me homesick. Um, right, and, uh... You can get work selling data to your about your RPAP to freaks. Which is what kind of pushed me over the edge to get mine. The woman's face contorted. Sell it for, sell it for what? To have water on credit at the motherfucking corner store, Kay said with a slow snarl. Basics, you know, bullshit like that. The elder stroked a small silver medal on her braided leather lanyard, nodding contemplation. Very interesting. And how's that working out for you? It's been keeping me out of the company towns, you know. I can't... I can complain, actually. I can, but I won't. (laughs) The old-timer coughed on a bemused laugh. They don't track you? No. You have to show up for seasonal checkups so they can collect. Now the woman's expression was deeply skeptical. Then her brow unknit and she shrugged. Well, I guess... What the fuck are they going to do with it, huh? And coughed up a good old jaded cackle, bitter enough that the number of people still in the dining tent turned to look. That's exactly how I feel. Mm. Well, you be careful for me, all right? And now Kay looked at her like, Lady, didn't I just express that I did this on purpose? The most terrible shit that happens sometimes are from crimes of negligence. And it's not good to neglect your body. Your body is yours. That's you behind your skin. Kay's listening expression changed like, what the fuck are you talking to me about this for? It was eerie. Elders always gotta say some hair-raising shit like you should be relating or something. It's normal. I do take care of myself. Kay interrupted. Oh no, honey, I meant Ellison. Their negligence. You already know this. I do already know this. The woman looked at Kay for a long contemplative beat. Kay thought, she doesn't know what to make of me. She's judging me because I let them experiment on me. Why does she care? This lady's going to leave too. Kay thought the woman was about to get up and began recoiling. Instead, she patted Kay's hands on the table and then made the sign of the cross as in preparing a blessing and said, Abre Camino. Be protected and supported on your way. She patted Kay's hands again. I'll be seeing you. Which meant goodbye. See you then. Kay responded stiffly and watched the woman gather momentum to stand up and swing herself on out of the tent. Goodbye. Goodbye she said to herself, chest panging way more than she wanted. Formally blessed, she finished the rest of her breakfast, tasting nothing. It didn't feel good coming back to the lodgings and finding out that the Young Ones crew had already taken off for whatever good idea they were chasing, but it felt better to see who was left, chilling on their cots, the other people going to Big Lowe's That's who was here. She had time to drag her feet before they shoved off. Kay crawled herself onto an empty cot amidst the lot of people and lay there like a beached seal, belly down, limbs straight alongside her. She could feel the murmurs beginning in her head and wanted to get a nap in before they came any stronger. It was already making her chest tight. A few moments later, She had calmed her body down enough and finally began to drift. She wakes up and knows something about her self-esteem is tanking. Her heart's already beating hard like she's running. It fucking sucks. Paralyzing tension. It takes her a minute before she can suck a breath through her lungs and rest her body up. Time to leave the small kindnesses and go back out into the unknown. Suddenly, Kay had a strong need for her own clothes again. Everybody seemed to be getting their shit back with no issues, and she hoped it was just the same for her. She forked left at the geodome for the wash house and headed to a front counter that they had bypassed the first time, probably because of the decontamination process. She said hi to the thick-neck, old working man sitting there who answered her in a fag's gentle lisp and who she handed her locker key to. He turned on his swivel stool and passed the plastic scrunchy lanyard off to someone sitting on the other side of an open door. It came back immediately. The old working fag had a dinged and battered, thick and rubbery plastic bin in his big hands, and he set it down on the counter. Is everything there? he said sweetly "Kay blinked yeah there's the clothes she came in here in washed and put together like it was just plucked off the line and tossed in nearly folded already many deft hands around here she thought and on top of her clothes the sweet old fag placed the locker key patted it once and pushed the bin her way Once she had it, he was already gesturing her in the direction of the bathroom changing rooms, the same rooms her and Smoke caught back up in just yesterday. When she stepped in, it was surprisingly empty and quiet. She sat down on the same bench as she had after yesterday's shower and held the rectangle bin in her lap, feeling the well-worn cotton of the chung dam clothes against her skin, soothing and soft. She sat there for a long time, peering into the bin's contents, trying to summon the enthusiasm to change. Better do it before someone else gets in here, she thought, and set the bin on the bench beside her and began pulling off the set. A drawstring fisherman's hat, sun-faded green drab on one side, the other high-vis yellow, a yellow paisley bandana and a purple one, synthetic, a dirty white breathable plastic fabric long sleeve, a navy webbing belt with slide buckle, all plastic, a good old pair of oil pants, gusset crotch heavy-duty work jeans with articulated knees, and an accumulated, through-wear, oiled finish that made them almost like leather. She pulled all this stuff out and set it down. A fragrance strong with rosemary wafted with it. There was her underwear and her socks and shoes at the bottom of it all. She pulled out the double-layer, light compression top, a.k.a. her bra, the thigh-length briefs, both gray, different shades, and thick day-glow orange smart socks. There were her shoes, rubberized calf-high fisherman's boots with two sprigs of rosemary stuck inside. (laughs) Nice. She laughed at the sight and the thought, Okay, she liked the wreck for this. Plucked them out and set them back in the bin. Once she was out of the spa set and back into her tighter-fitting underwear It was like her head was on straight again. She pulled all her plastic blend clothes back on and looked down at herself, her feet and legs and hands, the familiar rustle of the slippery white waffle knit, the creak and groan of the oil pants as she moved. She tied the purple bandana over her hair, Put the yellow one folded into the low-leg utility pocket in her pants and tossed her hat's drawstring around her neck and let it hang down her back. Put the rosemary sprigs deep in her front pockets, took the spa set and plastic slides she'd been wearing and set them in their respective used collection bins right there in the dressing area. Stood in the center of its quiet for a beat admiring the silence of a sound building and its kind amenities. She just liked to try and remember things sometimes by making sure she acknowledged the moment. When she got back to the cots with her stuff, she was surprised when good-looking Bernice appeared carrying her kit from the weapons check. That's all of it, right? And it was. Whenever you're ready, we'll take off for Big Lose, she said. Kay nodded. I won't be long. I've got to say it feels nice to record all this and share this with everybody. I started writing this draft last year in November on the 28th, and I'm recording this tonight on September 20th, 2022. So... Stay tuned as I finish the rest of this movement of K making it to Big Los, possibly uniting with Mir, possibly with Braga, and the introduction through the passage of everyone's favorite... Um, Lurker John Rawl. Thanks for listening. Till next time.